Good morning, clerks. Welcome back to another episode of The Clerk Commute. Welcome back to another episode of The Clerk Commute. Today, we will be discussing a very important topic in primary care, back pain. I'm Sean, and this is my co-host, Benji. Today's episode was edited by one of Toronto's leaders in back pain, Dr. Hamilton Hall, an orthopedic surgeon with the University of Toronto. Back pain is both one of the most common reasons to see a physician and one of the most prevalent problems for our population. It is estimated that about 70 to 80% of the Canadian population experience low back pain at some point in time. In addition, although often severe in terms of both pain and disability, the vast, vast majority of back pain is mechanical and does not require any imaging or invasive procedures. With a good history and physical exam, you can help your patients avoid the high degree of inappropriate and ineffective healthcare utilization historically associated with back pain. That's awesome. I'm excited to explore good history and physical for our patients. Who will I be seeing today? Well, as always, for the purpose of these episodes, you're a CC3 medical student at the start of your family medicine block. You're asked to see a 63-year-old female lawyer who is presenting today with severe back pain. Great. Thanks for the one-liner. I think it's interesting how you say severe. Typically more severe anything in medicine makes us more scared, but back pain is not one of those things. As you mentioned, the vast majority, over 90% of back pain, is mechanical, and although mechanical back pain can absolutely be severe and have a huge hindrance on quality of life, it does not require any imaging or surgical intervention for treatment. It is important to reassure patients since it can often be very painful and frightening. Back pain falls into two categories, mechanical and non-mechanical pain. Mechanical pain is the vast majority and occurs when pain arises from a physical structure. Mechanical pain is affected by movement or load. Mechanical pain is benign and usually self-limiting. If the pain is non-mechanical, this might mean the back pain is caused by a medical problem, for example, inflammatory back pain, cancer, or infection. Inflammatory spine diseases, like ankylosing spondylitis, are the second most common cause at 1-5%, to and cancer, which is a big fear for many patients, is about half of 1%. The back pain history starts by asking a few questions to determine what, if any, pattern of mechanical back pain the patient is experiencing, and then asking about red and yellow flags. This will enable whoever is taking the history to, ga- to categorize the pain to discuss best treatment options and also to determine whether this is a rare presentation that isn't mechanical and might actually require further investigation. So let's jump in. The first thing I want to determine is whether Miss L's pain is back or leg dominant. Correct. That is absolutely the first thing you're going to want to figure out. For most people, back pain exists both in the legs and the back. So just asking whether the pain is in the back or legs is not enough. A helpful tip would be to ask broadly, Where is your pain the worst? If the patient insists that the pain is truly equal at both sites, you'd want to ask the following. Okay, what if today we can only solve one of these pains? Which would you want us to solve today? Although we are starting with treating one pain, the eventual goal is to resolve all symptoms. Also, it's important to note that back dominant pain includes the buttocks. Back to our case. Mrs. L says her pain is worse in her low back and buttocks rather than her legs. Thanks for those tips, Sean. As a practitioner, 
I'm reassured to hear it is back down in pain, which implies there is no damage to the nerves or spinal cord, and surgery is highly unlikely to be part of the treatment plan here. Back dominant pain is a type of pain referred from a sore structure. Leg dominant pain is a pain from direct irritation of a nerve root. So back dominant pain is generally less likely to be associated with more serious conditions or require surgery. The next question I want to ask is whether the pain is constant or intermittent. This does two things for me. First, it better characterizes the pain into a pattern, and second, Constant back pain is slightly more concerning and I would be on high alert for red flags. It is important when asking this question to empathize with the patient. In particular, if their back pain is severe. For example, when asking about whether there is ever a moment in the day in which the pain stops, even for a brief moment, you can also mention that you know the pain is severe and you know the brief moment might be very brief. And you know this pain always returns. Absolutely. This is an important line of questioning. A common answer to that question might be, well, it does get a lot better at night when I lie down. And this time it is important to then ask whether it gets a lot better or whether it completely goes away. Truly intermittent back pain is never spinal malignancy or an active spinal infection. Back to our case. Mrs. L says that the pain is constant and there is no time during the day that the pain is not there. Okay, so at this point, it's sounding like Miss L is experiencing the most common pattern of back pain, but I'll need to ask about which movements make this back pain better or worse to confirm this. The next question I'll ask is whether flexion, for example, bending over from the waist makes the pain better or worse. I'll also want to ask about whether extension brings on more pain, Pattern 2 back pain is back and or buttock dominant pain, just like pattern 1, except it is always intermittent, but flexion never makes the pain worse. Hence, if you're at this point in the interview and you are thinking this person's back pain is pattern 2 back pain, you will definitely want to figure out whether flexion brings on any pain, which would automatically bring us to pattern 1 back pain. Yep, that's definitely something you want to ask about and will be something you'll want to be observing as you're doing the interview. If this person is experiencing the back pain in the moment, they might be sitting forward, which probably means that flexion feels better than extension. Or perhaps this person needs to stand and therefore extension is less painful than flexion. Before we move on, I just want to talk about leg dominant pain and this question. For pattern three, this is leg dominant pain that is constant and all movements hurt including flexion, extension, and any of the above. For leg dominant pain, this that is intermittent, this pain is categorized as pattern four and is typically relieved with sitting or flexion. Back to Mrs. L. She says that bending forward is the worst and that she can barely work at her desk anymore. Thanks. Before I move on to my next question, do you mind explaining why most what the most likely cause for each of the patterns of back pain are and explain why they might occur? Not a problem. Each of the patterns have a most likely cause, but the pattern of back pain isn't diagnostic. And the point is that each of the patterns guides which guides, which exercises and treatments may be necessary. And it is not tied to the underlying pathology. That being said, pattern one back pain that is made worse by flexion and sometimes extension is called discogenic back pain. 
The pain comes since the disc is irritated and loaded in different directions as you bend forward or backwards. It could also be muscular. Muscular pain is secondary to the disc irritation, but the relationship is not clear. It may be protective. Pattern 2 may arise from irritation of the small facet joints in the spine. Bending backwards increases pressure on the joints, while bending forward removes the load. There are probably a number of other causes, but again, it is the pattern, not the pathology, that directs treatment. Pattern 3 back pain is often referred to as sciatica, wherein the pain comes most likely from a compressed or inflamed nerve. This nerve is inflamed all the time, and hence the pain is constant, irritated by all movements, and is leg dominant because the spinal nerves in the back innervate the legs. Pattern 4 back pain is leg dominant pain that is aggravated by walking and standing. This is called neurogenic claudication and the pain stems from narrowing of the spinal canal which interferes with the blood supply to the nerve roots. The reason it appears so similar to the diagnosis of intermittent claudication which is caused by decreased circulation of the leg to the leg muscles is because both problems are the result of inadequate blood flow, the first to the nerves and the second to the muscles. Wow, thanks, that's super helpful. Okay, so the next two questions I'm going to ask is one, whether this person has had the back pain before, because back pain is commonly a recurrent pattern, and if the pattern of pain is the same, just knowing what helped and didn't help in the previous time will likely help or not help again. I'll also ask about what activities this person can no longer do as a product of their back pain. This allows you to get a sense for how disabled this person is and also help tailor treatment to have them back to doing activities they prioritize and find important. Great questions. Mrs. L has never had this pain before and says that she is having trouble working at her desk for long hours and picking up her nieces and nephews and leaning down to play with them. Thanks for that information. So to summarize, right now, I think Miss L is experiencing pattern one back pain. And for treatment, we're going to focus on reducing pain and suggesting modifications for getting Miss L back to work and back to doing the things she enjoys. Although this pain is most likely mechanical, I want to ask about red flags that would make me consider further imaging or referrals for Mrs. L. I like to use the acronym NIFTY to help remember red flags, which stands for neurological, specifically Cotaquina syndrome, infection, fracture, tumor, and inflammation. The first one, neurologic, requires you to ask about changes in bowel and bladder since the pain began. Specifically, the symptoms we worry about are urinary retention, followed by insensible overflow and unrecognized fecal incontinence. This is to rule out Cotaquina syndrome, which will be investigated with an MRI and requires an urgent referral to a spine surgeon. With regards to our case, Mrs. L has no bowel or bladder changes. Cool. Next, we want to rule out infectious causes of back pain. For this, we want to ask about fever, intravenous drug use, and ask about whether the person is immunosuppressed in any way. High suspicion would require referral and further investigation such as an MRI, which would likely indicate inflammation. Next, we worry about fracture as being one of the causes of back pain. Here, you want to ask about whether there was any trauma that precipitated the back pain and explore the osteoporosis risk with age. Osteoporosis risk is quite relevant in this case since the patient is female and osteoporosis is much more common in women. High suspicion for fracture would require an x-ray and may even require a CT. 
The next red flag we worry about is the T in Nifty, which represents tumor. For this, I'd ask about a history of cancer in the family or personal history of cancer, specifically breast, unexplained weight loss, significant and unexpected night pain, and severe fatigue. Also note if the pain is intermittent, it would not be cancer. With regards to our case, Mrs. L has no red flags on history. Let's get into the physical exam. To start off the physical exam, we look at the patient's general behavior, watching them walk over to the chair and how they are sitting. Sitting is a flexion position, and if patients are struggling to sit and prefer to stand, this is already an indication about flexion-based activities. Next, we perform a general inspection of the back, which might show contour variations, color differences, and scars, which would be important to report. Following this, we bring the patient into a flexion position, for example, bent over. See if this movement reproduces the pain. In this case, I'm assuming Miss L would have, would have worse back pain in flexion. Correct. On exam, Mrs. L prefers to stand for her examination, and her pain is severely worsened by flexion. Okay, so next we would bring the patient into extension and see whether this reproduces the pain. Given that Miss L's pain is fitting a pattern one pain at the moment, this may or may not reproduce the pain. This is called passive prone extension. Note, you would only do this if they have back dominant pain on flexion. If there is no pain on flexion or the pain is leg dominant, do not use passive prone extension. For this maneuver, have the patient lie prone with their hands, palms down on their examination table. You will ask them to use their arms to raise their upper body until they can lock their elbows. At the same time, their back must sag so that their hips stay down. The key is to have the arms fully extended while the hips are on the table. It's not how high you can raise the shoulders. The stiffer the spine, for example in an older patient, the further the hands must move above the head to be successful. The arms do all the work. The back is completely passive. Move slowly and don't hold the elevated position. Ask about the effect on the pain after the patient has done four or five repetitions. Surprisingly, many patients find this sloppy push-up reduces their pain and it becomes part of their treatment. Yep, so like you mentioned, in pattern one, there's an increase in pain with flexion and there's variable pain with extension. One group has relief with the prone passive extension or even just with arching their back, but the other group doesn't. Pattern 2 back pain, on the other hand, will never have pain with flexion. The moment there's back dominant pain with flexion, that's pattern 1 back pain. Mrs. L, who as you mentioned is fitting pattern 1 back pain, had pain with flexion and no pain with extension. Next, we would try the straight leg raise. The straight leg raise is used to investigate nerve root irritation. For this, have the patient lie supine with the other hip and knee fully flexed. The examiner lifts the leg so that for the patient, the movement is passive. A positive test means that the typical leg dominant pain is reproduced with this movement. Patients with back dominant pain should not have a positive test. If back pain is reproduced or does not indicate nerve root irritation, but rather confirms a mechanical form of back pain. A positive straight leg raise means this person is experiencing pattern three back pain. For the purposes of this episode, we will not go into further detail regarding the physical exam. You should know that the minimum requirements of the rest of the exam include patellar reflex, which examines L3-L4, great toe extension power, examining L5, 
great toe flexion power, examining S1, plantar response, and upper motor test. These are vital for ruling out more dangerous neurologic causes of back pain that do require further investigation. Excellent. Neurological exam is normal. Also, don't forget, you'll want to conduct a saddle sensation test, which helps you rule out a do-not-miss diagnosis of cauda equina syndrome. This does sound like an intrusive test, but in fact only means testing light touch in the midline between the upper buttocks. That is enough to screen for sacral nerve function. In regards to imaging, less than 5 in 100 back pain patients have red flags and need imaging. Ordering imaging for those patients that do not have red flags is harmful, costly, and stressful. In fact, there are a large cohort of individuals who will have pathological finding on imaging that is not the cause of this patient's back pain. And so not only is there a large economic, social, and physical cost of subjecting patients to imaging, but more than likely you will find something that is not pathological on imaging. This means more imaging, testing, and interfering with the treatment process. There are certain cases that require CT, X-ray, and MRI uh, when indicated for back pain. Therefore, given that Mrs. L fits the pattern for uh, fits the pattern for pattern one back pain and has no red flags, we would not order imaging. Yes. Next, onto yellow flags. Yellow flags are things on a back pain history that means this person is at higher risk for their acute back pain episode to become chronic. The yellow flag questions include. Do you think your back pain will improve or become worse? Do you think you would benefit from activity, movement, or exercise? How are you coping emotionally with your back pain, and what treatments or activities do you think will help you recover? Concerning answers include people who believe back pain is harmful and will get worse, um, people who think avoiding activities and have fear of activities, people with a tendency towards low mood and might withdraw from social interaction, and also the expectation that passive treatments, for example, seeing a physiotherapist but doing nothing outside personally to help with the pain, will help. Providing education and sometimes even cognitive behavioral or other psychotherapy might help patients with yellow flags feel more in control over the back pain, as well as genuinely reduce the risk of chronicity. Mrs. L has no yellow flags. If she did, you would really want to make note of this and educate her to help set her, or any other similar patients, up for success. Remember to ascertain why this patient is seeking support. There might be a cohort of patients who are seeking care, not because this is affecting a lot of their quality of life, but rather they have a worry about it re representing something more ominous, for example, cancer. For this cohort of people, you might want to recommend frequent follow-up appointments with their primary care physician which means you are watching to see if it gets worse while not subjecting the patient to imaging and surgical exploration that they do not need. This is also where the pattern identification can be very helpful. If the patient is a pattern one PEP and responds to prone passive extensions, then no matter how worried they are, the clinician can be completely reassuring. And remember, failure to respond is not the result of ominous pathology, but to the far more common reasons of lack of compliance or poor technique. Why don't you go ahead, Benji, and tell me about management for mechanical back pain, like Mrs. Alex. So initial management for mechanical back pain involves education, counter irritants like hot or cold packs, activity modification, and pattern-specific exercises and positions. These can be found on the clinically organized relevant exam, aka the core back tool, found easily on Google or in our course content. 
Another aspect of initial management is arranging close follow-up, which should be within a day or two after starting treatment. With frequent visits in the beginning, there can be fewer visits overall. Expect for pattern three, except for pattern three, where scheduled rests may take a couple weeks to produce benefit, and pattern four, which can take longer as well. Analgesic medications, like acetaminophen, with or without NSAIDs, may be necessary if the mechanical approach is not sufficient. Another thing, do not tell this patient that their pain will go away. About 70% of back pain cases recur within 12 months, and the most successful back pain patients are educated, feel in control of their pain, but also know that it will recur and for them to take charge early on in back pain recurrence and be an active participant in recovery. By setting your patient up for the possibility of recurrence, you're taking part in helping the problem. One major aspect for management is to encourage early return to work and return to activity. As mentioned in discussion regarding the yellow flags, people who are comfortable returning to activity and feel as though activity is not harmful do better with back pain. As their care provider, it is your duty to encourage and ensure this activity will not worsen the back pain. There exists criteria wherein you might refer to a surgeon or other specialists for back pain. We will not be listing those for the purpose of this episode, but the list can be found on the previously referred to core back tool. Excellent management plan, Benji. I want to remind our listeners to check out the core back tool for more information and to be careful ordering investigations and imaging for back pain without red flags. That wraps up the episode. We hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned some of the key components of a thorough back pain history along with proper management.